Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 146, October of 2021. We are presenting the very last in our 2021 series of plays featuring roles for women over 50. This episode, we are proud to present The Fugitive by Ken Levine. The roles are Valerie, played by Nancy Kane, and Tom, played by John Frasia. The setting is Tom and Valerie's living room. The TV is on. The Fugitive. Holy shit, The Fugitive is on. Boy, that's when you know we have 6,000 channels. Okay, it is on channel 982, but that's not the point. I loved The Fugitive when I was a kid. You and my parents. Now there was a premise. Dr. Richard Kimball, falsely accused of murdering his wife, escapes and runs around the country searching for a one-armed man he saw leave the scene, relentlessly pursued by Lieutenant Gerard. Brought to you by Fritos. You want to watch a 50-year-old program? Yeah, it'll be fun. Keep searching. Maybe you'll find a Today Show from 1953. Don't worry. You'll still get in your six hours a day of NCIS. Watch The Fugitive. The key to enjoying this is just losing yourself. Be transported to another place, another time. Another dress size. God, we're old. We're not old. This was 50 years ago, and we remember it. We're American Gothic. No one remembers the details. Oh, wow, Tuesday Weld. What are you doing? Checking to see how old she was then. No, no, just immerse yourself. It'll only take a second. She was born in 1943, so 22. Hey, how would you just know that? Immerse yourself. You're not immersing. You still have a thing for Tuesday Weld? What porn do you watch late at night? She's a marvelous actress. Uh-huh. What year was Judy Dench born? Valerie. Sorry. David Jansen's a good-looking guy. The Fugitive? You really think so? I don't have his birth date memorized, but yeah. He died young, you know. I wasn't planning on contacting him. Can we just watch? We're missing all the story turns. What story turns? Every week it was the same thing. He changes his name, he takes a crappy job, he almost gets caught, but at the last minute, some person he operated on in a ditch helps him escape. Now brought to you by Humira. There's more than that. He's searching for the one-armed man. So why doesn't he just flee to Tahiti, tent bar, and pay a private detective to look for him? Because the detective won't know the right one-armed man. He can take photos. It's not like the guy had two arms but looked <laughs> sort of Jewish. Yeah, like there are 72 murders a week in the Navy that only NCIS can solve. They also have jurisdiction over the Marines, Tom. But I will stop now. We can watch quietly and appreciate all the story turns. Thank you. Oh, that sheriff. Who is that guy? We've seen him in a million things. Tom takes out his iPhone and starts tapping on the screen. Tuesday's taking off her mittens. You're missing it. IMDB is amazing. Yep, got it. Andrew Tomlinson. Let me see what else he's done. Ah, the drug mule on Hawaii Five-0. Oh, Jesus. What? He was 56 years old when he died. 
How old was David Jansen? Yikes, 48. You're kidding. Heart attack. Poor guy. The show was probably what killed him. What? Every week he was wading through swamps or out running dogs. Look, there he is carrying Tuesday Weld up a mountain. She may be 95 pounds, but believe me, by take six, she was a piano. He can't be under that much strain. He's smoking. How come he never changes his appearance? Huh? Well, you'd think he'd grow a beard, wear glasses. No wonder he's always spotted. He could make extra cash going to crime conventions signing his wanted posters. The man has dimples, Valerie. No leading man who has dimples ever wears a beard. I swear, you know nothing about Hollywood. Didn't they do a movie of this? Yeah, with Harrison Ford. Right. And he had a beard. A, no dimples. Yes, he does. And B, he also jumped off a dam 15,000 feet and survived. Sure, he's Indiana Jones. I don't care if he's Wonder Woman, he'd be dead. You know, now that I think about it, the fugitive is really just Les Miserables, but without the songs. What? A Frenchman escapes prison, the police inspector is after him, and it's the French Revolution, so lots of guys ended up with one arm. Where's Victor Hugo's Emmy? This is maybe the dumbest conversation we've ever had. And in the movie, Hugh Jackman had a beard and dimples. Maybe Kimball assumed that everyone would think he'd grow a beard and that's why they'd be looking for. So to stay one step ahead of them, he didn't grow a beard. Now it's the dumbest conversation we've ever had. Can we just watch the show? Wow, Ymir does sponsor it. They go back to watching. After a couple of beats, Tom starts tapping on his iPhone again. Christ, the guy playing the deputy, he was 60 when he died. What do you care? Don't you find it a little strange? All these people died at an early age? Not all. Tuesday Weld is still alive. There's still hope for you and her when it's lights out at the senior center. The desk clerk lasted until 87, but the ranch hand was only 59 when he died. The third leading cause of death in 1965, appearing on The Fugitive. It's not funny. Life expectancy wasn't as high back then. Right, but it wasn't 59. That's like they filmed the show next to a nuclear reactor. Tom, everybody smoked back then and drove without seatbelts and ate White Castle. And how many of those people would have lived another 20 years if they had the medical advances we have now? So relax. It's like we're all fugitives. What? Trying to escape time. Lieutenant Gerard is time. And the one-armed man is White Castle. That's it. No more shows before 2007. Beards and disguises won't help. We can't hide from Lieutenant Gerard. Tom, you're getting crazy. No, you were right, Val. We are old. We are not. People we thought were old, but we're actually young, are dead, and we're older than them. So where does that leave us? Well, you apparently in skilled nursing and me in Hawaii. 
why can't you just be scared shitless like me? Just once. Because I'd rather be grateful. We are still here and we're healthy. Well, aside from all the usual bullshit we get at this stage, but healthy enough. I don't know about you, but I plan on being around a lot longer. Lieutenant Gerard is not going to get me. I wear a Fitbit. Trust me, in 20 years, we'll be longing for the days we were this age. You know what? That's true. That's absolutely. very true. Yeah, absolutely. That was then. This is now. Right. We've been given a gift. We have, yes. In a sense, we're young. We are young. 65 is the new 57. Okay. Thank you, Valerie. God, this is such a relief. We're young. And we get senior discounts. We can do anything. Hell, we can even go to Disneyland. That's how young we are. Right. Really? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go to Disneyland. It'll be fun. Screw you, Lieutenant Gerard. Yeah, I'm the fugitive, but the movie fugitive. And this time, my new fake name will be Indiana Jones. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I was just thinking, you know, on that Indiana Jones ride, they have that sign that says, this is a turbulent, violent attraction. And if you have heart problems or you're over 65, it's not recommended. Yeah. Harrison Ford can no longer go on the Indiana Jones ride. Okay, we're old. We are so old. We are not. We're ancient. We're fossils. What else is on? Where's the remote? Oh, I think I hurt my back. Yeah, I do need Humera. That was The Fugitive by Ken Levine. The roles were played by Nancy Kane as Valerie and John Frasia as Tom. Ken Levine is a Emmy-winning writer, director, producer, and has a career that's spanned more than 30 years. He's worked on some of the most incredibly famous TV shows like MASH, Cheers, Frasier, The Simpsons, Everybody Loves Raymond, Dharma and Greg. Ken has also been the radio and TV play-by-play -play voice of the Baltimore Orioles, the Seattle Mariners, San Diego Padres, and Dodger Talk. He's also got his podcast, Hollywood and Levine. What made you write this play and why The Fugitive? Because there were so many television shows back in the day. How did The Fugitive make, make the cut? Well, I always liked The Fugitive. And I saw one day on Amazon where I could get the complete collection of The Fugitive for like $40. So, so I bought it and my wife and I just sat down and started watching it. Mm. And uh, I would see an actor on there who, uh, who looked familiar and I'm thinking, where did I see that character actor before? So I had my phone with me and I would go to my IMDB page and I would look up that particular episode and see, oh, okay, that guy was in Cool Hand Luke, or mm -hmm. oh yeah, that guy was on Hawaii Five O. Then I also started noticing um, their ages and uh, how quite a few of them like died in their fifties and sixties, yeah. and so this kind of became a, a, a thing with me. 
And so the fugitive sprang from that, but there's there's a lot of reality. It's it's really kind of me and my wife, you know, me being the neurotic one, um, looking at these people and going, oh my God, he only lived to be 62. And my wife saying, just enjoy the show. What are you doing? Um, yeah. So that's kind of uh, how The Fugitive came to be. I, I, my wife and I do the same thing. It's it, I'll recognize somebody and say, oh, wait, hold on. Sure. That was the doorman in uh, such and such a movie. And my wife will look at me and she goes, 200 years ago, they would have like burned you at the stake for doing things like that. <laughs> how do you well, know the all this is, stuff? Years, years ago, before the Internet, you wouldn't know and it would just drive you crazy yeah. for four days mm -hmm. like where have i seen that guy yeah and now of course you can just go oh right yeah he was the doorman sure mm -hmm. sure and then you then you sleep well oh <laughs> uh, yeah it's 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 actually kind of fun spotting people from movies and tv series way back that are now either recurring or they're just kind of making it big or they, they but they've been around forever. That's well, it's fun for me too, because uh, a number of these people who started out as actors decided to go into other fields like producing and directing and writing. Mm. And so every so often I'll see an old episode of TV and I'll go, oh, my God, that's Burt Medcalf, who was the producer of MASH, right. who I worked with for years. But there he is, uh, 20 years old, uh, as, as an actor on Gidget. <laughs> wow. So that's, that's really kind of fun. Yeah, that is kind of fun, because you don't remember the plot of the actual episode. You just remember Burt Medcalf was in it. Right. And yeah. Gene Reynolds, who was one of the uh, creators of MASH, Gene just passed away last yeah. year at like 93, 94. But he was one of the kids in the MGM stable, along with Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland yeah. and uh, Jackie Cooper and, and those people. And I mean, here's a guy who I know I've, I knew him from when he was like 50 on, but, you know, I, I see him in a movie and there he is. He's 11. <laughs> yeah. And once you know it, you can actually start to see the resemblance too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And you wonder what must that be like for him to look at that Yeah, and see, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're we're both or some of us are, are of an age now where we remember ourselves as 17. And then when we pass a mirror, it's like, who is that guy? Exactly. No, I I'm still 17. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, my wife will probably say I'll be 17 forever, at least maturity wise. Um, uh -huh. Well, uh, hey. hey, better than 13. I was 13. <laughs> I was so, 13. Yeah. So I'm moving up to 17. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations on graduating Thank you. from high school. Thank you. Yeah. You've been writing for, I guess, over 30 years now uh, for all these wonderful TV shows. The Simpsons, one of my faves. Um, Frasier, 
Cheers, which is along with MASH. I mean, these are all top-notch TV icons. It's been over 40 years. <laughs> 40 years. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Everybody loves I've been Raven. very lucky. That's, yes, you have. Um, what was that like? I mean, I, I can't ask you to encapsulate 40 years in, into one short interview, but um, just working with these with these remarkable people, the actors, the, the producing staff, the techies, um, in all these different genres, that must have been, how did, you, how did that happen? How did you get a foot in that door? Well, um, I started out when I got out of college at UCLA as a top 40 disc jockey. And I bounced around the country playing the hits. And I was kind of Howard Stern before Howard Stern. And I was always getting fired. Okay. And uh, what? Um, yeah, no, no. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was always getting fired because, you know, there would be upheaval at the radio station and a new program director would come in and hear me and go, you're not funny. Shut up. You're fired. And and I got tired of that, and I got tired of playing kung fu fighting four times a night. And the night <laughs> Chicago died, and Billy, don't uh, be a hero. And oh, uh, and no. I decided to to try writing. And uh, you know, when I was a teenager, talk about how you know I'm still 17. Yeah. Uh, when I was a teenager, and I saw the Dick Van Dyke show, and it was a revelation to me because I was this nerd in school and he thought wait a minute this guy is a comedy writer and he's getting a girl like laura petrie i i don't have to throw a spiral to get a girl like laura petrie so maybe there's something to this comedy writing thing so it was always in the back of my mind uh to pursue comedy writing mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to do it. I'd never taken a class. And I was in the Army Reserves. And for our summer camp, um, we were at Fort Carson, Colorado. And I met uh, a new member of the unit, David Isaacs. And we got to talking. And he, too, wanted to be a writer. And at the time, he was working at ABC in Hollywood in the film can division, shipping film, long since obsolete department. Yeah. And um, we decided to, you know, try writing something together. And the first thing we wrote was a pilot, which would have cost probably uh, $70 million in 1973 to produce. We knew nothing, but we had a good time and, and yeah. it was funny. I had to actually go to Hollywood and buy a script. There was a, a bookstore that had a remainder table of TV mm -hmm. scripts. Sure, so yeah. I was able to buy an odd couple script and a Mary Tyler Moore show script and see the form. I didn't even know what the format was, you know, where you go, oh, interior WJM day. Huh. Yes. Okay. That's how they do it. Yeah. Um, that's how clueless we were. But um, you we learn kept working on it. We kept working on it and writing more and more spec scripts and mm -hmm. getting the scripts rejected. Uh, and then one day, you know, luck has such a huge uh, impact in this. One day, my mother is playing golf. And uh, one of her partners, one of the people that she's paired up with is a gentleman named Gordon Mitchell. And uh, Gordon was the story editor of this new show just coming on CBS called The Jeffersons. 
And, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and sure. when he said he was a writer for the Jeffersons, my mom, of course, being a good mom, says, oh, my son is a writer and you should read him. And of course, he's thinking, oh, my God. What uh -huh. they yeah, how many holes left? Yeah. Yeah, but uh, he said, um, have him uh, send me a script and if I like the script, I'll get in touch. And that's what I did, and he did. He liked the script and called me nice. and invited me and my partner to come in and pitch. And we pitched stories, and long story short, they bought one of them, and that was how we broke in. And once we broke in, then we were able to get a decent agent. We were able to get other assignments, and uh, things worked out to where... Um, we got a chance to write an episode of MASH. And when we did a good job on that, that really was our golden ticket. Once we yeah. wrote our first MASH, we were off and running. And to answer the second part of your question about working with all of these remarkable people, sure. I, I have to say, it really is a blessing that throughout my career, there was not a single day when I took it for granted. Oh. There was not a single time that I walked on the stage of MASH or Cheers or Frasier and thought to myself, wow, <laughs> look where I am. Yeah. How lucky am I? How great is this that I'm writing material and Alan Alda is doing it and Ted Danson and David Hyde Pierce or mm -hmm. in the case of a movie, Tom Hanks and John Candy. Um, it, it, it truly was uh, a blessing, like I said. Yeah. And, um, and I, I never took it for granted, not for a single moment. Every day that I drove on to a, a studio lot, um, I, I gave thanks. Yeah. That's, that's incredible to, I mean, to be able to keep reappreciating your good fortune. Yeah. And that, and, and that is good. Yeah. I mean, as Absolutely. a writer myself, I'm still waiting for the big break. And but to imagine my words coming out of their mouths, you know, on a stage or something like that, it would be I, I, I could just end it all now. And it would, I, I'm here. I've arrived. It's perfect. Thank you. I mean, uh, they made they make me so much better a writer than I am. <laughs> you know, David Hyde Pierce would do things with lines that would get huge laughs yeah. and you know when i wrote the line it was it was just a straight line it was just something to set up something else right but he got a big laugh out of it and what... and i thank the gods of comedy and i thank mm -hmm. david hyde pierce but uh, very lucky to be writing for these characters sure. and hearing them in your head and then when it goes down to the stage and you actually hear them do it they do it as well or better than you even imagined that as a writer is is the ultimate gift i, I would just be sitting there going i didn't write it that funny <laughs> but that's that's what good actors do they find yeah they ways they, to make they really every do. line count yeah they really do you know, it's it's it comes down to, I mean, how good is the actor? Is the actor on stage better than the material? Because I'm enjoying the play, but I'm not really enjoying the actual text, but I'm enjoying the actors doing it. Uh-huh. You know. Um, <laughs> well, that's an interesting observation. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's just, just one person in the audience. Um, right. But some days it seems like that. And 
So yeah, but was did any of these shows represent a step out of your comfort zone? Because you seem to be going all over the place. You've got a you know a, a 1950s Korean surgical hospital or, or a mass unit, and then you're going to you know this this Tony apartment in uh, modern day United States for Frasier and all these different places where the nature of the comedy has to be different, right? Or right. The, the, the nature of the characters is so different. How do you step out of one and seem to just glide so effortless, effortlessly, where is my mouth today, <laughs> um, into the shoes of someone completely different? Well, you're right. There are certainly differences between what we call single camera shows like MASH, mm -hmm. which are filmed like a movie where there's one camera and they go outside and they'll shoot a scene from four or five different angles. And then there's multi-camera, which is like Cheers and Frasier. Mm -hmm. And in those shows, they're like plays and there are four cameras that are filming simultaneously and a studio audience of 250 people. And it's very much like writing a play. And yes, it, it is very different. We, we started out doing, um, doing both because our first staff job was a multi-camera show in Tony Randall. And then our next staff job was, was MASH. And I will say this for MASH, uh, in terms of being out of my comfort zone. Um, had I not been in the Army, had I not been in the Army Reserves, sure. I don't think I could have written that show. Uh, obviously, it was out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. in terms of the medical aspect of it. And for that, we had consultants. We right. had Dr. Walter Schell. We had a nurse on the set to make sure that everything looked realistic. But in terms of just the military thinking and just the, the whole way that the army worked, uh, I felt comfortable. I knew that world. I was able to mm -hmm. write that world with, with some authority. Had I not been in the army, I don't think I ever would have been able to, to write MASH. Other shows, yes, but, but no. not MASH. But it was a I will say there definitely was a change when you're used to writing a certain style like MASH, which was mm -hmm. very stylized, and then going to Cheers. And it took, uh, it took a week or two to get up to speed because the writing is a little bit different. There's a lot more of set up jokes right. on, uh, on multi-camera shows. And that's not to disparage those kind of jokes, uh, but you know it's the same thing Neil Simon does when he writes Odd Couple for the stage, but it just took uh, a couple of weeks to sort of get into that rhythm, which is a very different rhythm than MASH. Yeah. Okay. That makes any sense. No, that makes perfect sense. I mean, the reason I asked is because MASH is A, one of my favorite shows. But it's also very specific. It's not your your living room comedy or your newsroom comedy where 
you walk in and you you know what's going to happen. With MASH, it was it was all over the place. It was a comedy one week. It was a drama the next week. It was a tragedy. It was a dream sequences. You never knew what yeah. you were getting with that. We did. We well, we had fun on MASH. We wrote the point of view episode, which was the episode seen through the eyes of the patient. Mm-hmm. The patient is injured on the battlefield and he's flown to the mash unit and through his eyes you get to see all I remember that one yes aspects yeah. of, of mash yeah. and at the time we pitched that story to uh, the showrunner Bert Metcalf we said look this is either going to be the best or worst episode of the year <laughs> okay this will either work and be great yeah. or it will just be horrible and you're probably going to want to bury it and put it up against the Academy Awards or sometime when no one's watching. Mm. And it, it turned out OK, but that was really fun. You talk about um, going out of your comfort zone. Yeah. That was that was really a, a fun episode. And the other thing for uh, David and I, in terms of our quote unquote comfort zone, is yeah. there's a lot of drama in MASH. and We had never right. written drama. And when we pitched stories the first time to Gene Reynolds, the one that he responded to was the one where the gas heater blows up and Hawkeye is temporarily blind. Yes. And yeah. he, he liked that idea, but he said, you know, uh, there's also, there's a lot of drama in that. Uh, have you guys written drama? And we just lied and said, oh, yeah, oh, you, you, of college writing yes. plays. Yeah. Oh, and it's like we were going to do anything we could to get that assignment. Yeah. And uh, we we pulled it off. But, yeah, that was out of our comfort zone. We had never written trauma before. Right. I call it stretching your abilities. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's And that's a funny thing you mentioned about, you know, we lied about it. Um Many of the actors I've grown up with and that I've known walk into auditions and they go, and the producers go, by the way, can you speak Swahili? And then, oh, it's my third sure. language. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Sure. I can ride a horse. Sure. That, oh, that one. Yeah. I had to train somebody to ride a horse so she could get, <laughs> she could get a role. Um, and that's a completely different story. Okay. Um, I, again, it was death of a salesman, right? Was, De- no, that was the role. It was it was death of a salesman. No, 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 no. It was uh, I can't remember what it was for, but she I do remember she had a bit part in Marathon Man. Somebody moved okay. and you could see the side of her face and that was a big break. I don't know. What oh, uh, that was her. Yeah, that was her. Yes, that was her. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you have a podcast, Hollywood and Levine, where like today you are speaking to notables and folks in the business and you've got like what a couple of hundred episodes so far 237 yeah yeah i'm on my fifth year and i do it weekly so i'm at about 230 33 something like that depending upon when this particular episode airs you put a lot more time into it than i do i'm on year 10 and i'm up to 146 (laughs) i do it once a month um what, okay, so why did you start the podcast? Well, I've always been interested in broadcasting from 
the time I was a kid. Like yeah. I said, I, I had been a disc jockey and then a talk show host and eventually a baseball announcer. And uh, Which I so want to talk about because that sounds okay. like so much fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I've, I've always liked broadcasting yeah. and podcasting gives me an opportunity to do that. And podcasts are starting to catch on. So I thought, what the heck? I mean, I've had a blog for 16 years mm -hmm. and I thought, well, you know, let me expand and, and do the podcast. And it's really been fun. And I've had a chance to talk with a lot of very interesting people, a lot of the mm -hmm. actors from the shows that I've worked on, like uh, Nancy Travis and George Went mm -hmm. and Harry Gilpin and uh, other directors like uh, Jim Burroughs. And I try to introduce the audience to various comedy writers whose names they know, whose work they have seen for years, but they don't know the person behind them. And so I'm trying to introduce the world yeah. to some comedy writers. And I also use the podcast to, um, uh, to, to share some writing advice or to tell war stories. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, it's, it's just for fun. I did a podcast recently where I made fun of all of the bad podcasts that are out there and did a simulated horrible podcast. Ouch. And uh, and then there's other times when I'll do commentary tracks yeah. on episodes that I either wrote or directed. So it's kind of a pastiche, mm -hmm. you, you might say, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. Like I say, I've been doing it now for four and a half years. Yeah, no, it, it is fun. Like I said, I've been doing this one for 10 years and, you know, I kind of did it on a dare in, in the beginning um you should do this because you're a playwright and a director yada 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 and i started talking to people from literally all over the world you know playwrights directors producers actors tech folks you name it i've i've spoken to them choreographers and i'm always learning something and it's always so much fun to just get into conversation and talk shop oh absolutely yeah and it does give you a chance to meet some interesting people who you otherwise would not have met. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to playwrights from New Zealand. I've had choreographers from L.A. I've had lighting designers who were working in, uh, in, in, in Pompeii at some of the old ruins, trying uh -huh. to figure out how to light those things. Um, so, but yeah. Just use, just use the lights that they did back then. Moonlight, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's not going to fly. We need electrics. Yeah, um, I was in Pompeii a few years ago. I don't remember any street lamps. Hmm. I've never been there. I'll, I'll have to check. <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, he. It's the, the the designer at that point was had been there for I think for two months already, working on lighting. I think it was lighting an opera which was wow. incredibly complex. But again, wow. it's it's one of those things. And like yourself, we're lucky. We're both lucky. We get to folk, speak to folks who we might not have had the chance to get to know and hear them tell stories and learn a little bit you know, about the business. 
and they are wonderful craftsmen. Yeah. They rarely get the credit. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't walk out of a play going, man, I love the lighting. But uh, the lighting really enhanced the production. And like I said, there are so many people behind the scenes yeah. from sound to set designers to makeup. And in television, you have all the cameras and mm -hmm. audio and editors yeah. and people like that. And uh, they are wonderful, dedicated craftsmen that rarely get the uh, attention that they deserve. They don't get True. the big credits. They don't get the awards. Yep. Um, so, you know, uh, it's nice to be able to learn a little bit about what they do and appreciate yeah. the Many work times they're taken for granted. And the only time they do get noticed is when the electric goes or something. That's right. Know. When things go wrong. Yeah. Something, yeah. And then, yeah, all of a sudden they're front and stage, which is highly unfair. Right. Um, but it's a credit to them that they are never noticed unless something goes wrong because what they do is so wonderful and seems to be so seamless. Right. Yeah. So last topic before I let you go back to life in LA and all the wonderful things that must be happening out there. Oh, geez. It's just exciting. Yeah. Hey, oh. Just, you know, me and Barbara Stanwyck, uh, we're going out to lunch at, uh, at Chasen's. Oh, good. Tell her I said, hi, it's been so yeah. long since we've spoken. <laughs> you were a play-by-play -play announcer for baseball yes oh i i still love that that was that was one of the great things about once the action started you know started to get going it was somehow you made it come alive even more than just watching it there was there was excitement uh, oh baseball on the radio is yeah. the best you know if you have a good announcer um, I mean, he can really make it exciting. And again, I, I consider myself a storyteller. Mm -hmm. So it's not just calling balls and strikes. It's like, well, what's the human aspect of this? And what's the big picture of this game? And, you know, what are the goals that the pitcher is trying to achieve, mm -hmm. both for the team and for himself? And, um, you know, when you are in a tight, suspenseful inning, how do you wring the most tension out of that? Yeah. And there's a lot of downtimes. It's like, how can you be entertaining? How can you uh, keep how... talking and still be interesting? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, your team is down eight to one and it's the third inning. Why should anyone listen to you? Well, they'll listen <laughs> to you if you're entertaining. They'll listen yeah. to you if you have stories. To listen to you if you have a, a personality. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I tried to bring because I couldn't bring my former playing career to the booth because right. I didn't have one. So um, so that's that's what I did. And, and I did the Baltimore Orioles, the uh, Seattle Mariners and the San Diego Padres. And I also um, hosted the pre and post Dodger games mm -hmm. for eight years and did some fill in doing play by play for the Dodgers. So you lived in all these different places. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I also spent three years in the minor leagues. Um, I was the voice of the Syracuse Chiefs in 1988. 
And I guess this broadcast is being played in Ithaca. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay, maybe three people listening might remember me as uh, the voice of the Syracuse Chiefs in 1988 with Dan Horde. And then I spent two years in Tidewater, Virginia, Mm -hmm. as the voice of the Tidewater Tides, the New York Mets AAA affiliate. And then there was an opening for the Orioles, and I sent in my tape and was very fortunate and got the job. That's amazing. That's that's. It is. I never yeah. thought I would be doing the minor, uh, excuse me, doing the major leagues. Yeah. I mean, I did this for the experience. Like, what's it like to be with a baseball team and travel with them day after day and to be able to describe it on the radio? And it's kind of like an ongoing soap opera. Sure. And um, and so I was enjoying the process I, I never thought to myself, oh, my God, uh, I got to get to the majors. If I don't get to the majors in two years, all mm-hmm. of this will be for naught. All of this will be a failure. I was enjoying yeah. what I was doing. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what we're not taught yeah. to do. Yeah. Right? And there, yeah. there are some guys who are in the minors who were announcers in AAA baseball when I was there who are still there. who are still with their teams and for them it's like well okay i'm i'm never going to make it to the major leagues but i'm doing what i love and and i'm having a good time and how many people get to do what they love so yeah it's not a hundred percent of my dream but still i get up in the morning and my only responsibility is to go to a baseball park and announce a baseball game that's not a bad life. No, that's not a bad life at not all. Not a bad you're life very, at all. You're very fortunate. See, the thing is, we are not taught to enjoy what we're doing. We are taught to achieve a goal. Right. If you don't that everything it, is just part of your resume. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of waking up like you do every day, going, gee, I get to go back to the baseball field again. Yay. Yeah, exactly. You know, or, or I have another podcast to do, to do, and I guess this week I get to talk to somebody that I've always you know, admired or never got to speak to before. Right. You know, it's uh, remarkable. Good on you. That's fantastic. That's well, great. Thanks. Ken Levine, this has been so much fun speaking with you. I wish we could go on for hours. We probably could, the two of us. Well, um, thank you, George. This was really fun. And thank you for doing my play. Thank you for sending it in. We had a ball with it. Um, stay well, be safe, and keep writing. Thank you. Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or know of someone in the theater who'd make some seriously good chat, by all means, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please stay safe. Be careful, not only for yourself, but for those with whom we all share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you.